Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the UPS store, we want to make this summer the summer of shipping. Summer Shipalooza. So you can start crossing items off your must-ship list. Like the vintage film camera your college kid needs for class. Or the vase you told your mom you would send her ages ago. And with our pack and ship guarantee, your items arrive safe or we reimburse you. So stop by your local store today for everything you need to be unstoppable. Visit the upsstore.com slash guarantee for full details. Available at participating locations. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. You shouldn't settle for just any old pair of leggings. You deserve something better. Something designed with you in mind. Like the new Inspire Leggings by Kalia. Their most versatile collection yet, made for any workout. They're lightweight, buttery soft, breathable, and made with lycra adaptive fiber, which molds to your body for a barely there supportive fit. It's perfect for wherever your wellness routine takes you. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Kellyanne Taylor. In this series, I sit down on the Radio Times sofa with a different celebrity guest every week to talk all things telly. What do they watch? Where do they watch it? And who do they watch with? Each week, we glimpse into my guest's life as seen through the prism of TV and from the vantage point of their sofas. We also delve into their own glittering careers on screen. Today's guest is Brian Cranston, best known for playing Walter White in the hit series Breaking Bad. Brian became a regular on our TVs playing Hal in the sitcom Malcolm in the Middle. In this episode, he talks to me about spending his childhood on Hollywood sets, how growing up without money has made him frugal, despite his overwhelming success, and why he consults his wife about every job before he takes it. Brian, hello and welcome to View From My Sofa. Uh, how are you? Obviously, our listeners will know who you are. Uh, you know, you've been a staple on our screen since Malcolm in the Middle and, of course, in Breaking Bad. But I want to turn the tables on you, subvert the narrative a little bit and start with, let's not delve into your life as an actor, first and foremost, but as a viewer. So set the scene for me. Talk me through what is the view from your sofa at home? and What's your kind of telly watching setup like? It's a sofa facing the television, I guess much like everyone else. But we watch it in our family room, which has a um, a fireplace. It's very cozy, very comfortable. You want to you want to come you come into the house. You kind of want to kick off your shoes, and that's what we do. We we don't really wear shoes in the house very much, and um, that way you can put your feet up on the 
coffee table or up on the sofa itself. And it feels more homey and, and inviting. And as someone who works in TV, what do you enjoy watching? You know, right now I'm working more than I am watching. My watching habits have diminished greatly. And especially because there are so many great television series out now. Mm. And it, and you realize you go in and there's a commitment there. It's like, how many episodes? Well, there's 10 episodes and this is the third season. And you're like, okay, I really have to be committed to going through this. And uh, that's what we're hoping everyone does with your honor is that this is the second second season and 10 more episodes to what I think would conclude the story. But, you know, I could be wrong. It, it might go on past this one. So what would you say was the last series that you watched that you actually, because like you say, it's an investment. You're investing a huge amount of time. Your honor, that's 10 hours for the first one for the second series. That's another 10. Right. What was the last thing that made you make that commitment? The, the last series was Better Call Saul. I wanted to see what the Vince Gilligan who created Breaking Bad and wanted to see his world in a story that was familiar, but yet brand new and fresh to me. And so every time I see Vince, I beg him not to tell me anything of what's going on because I just wanted to watch it as a, as a, as a, a viewer, as a fan. And what were your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And it was funny because uh, we told him, Aaron Paul and I told him right at the beginning of Better Call Saul, if you ever want us to appear on the show, let us know. We're happy. We'll definitely do it. And uh, we never got a call. I mean, it just went every time we were in front of the press, the people would say, so what about Better Call Saul? Or, or is Walter White going to make an appearance on the show? And I said, I would do it in a heartbeat, but so far I haven't been asked. So um, it's like we were ready for the to go to the party, but, you know, our dates didn't arrive yet. Until eventually they did? Yes, yes. We are in the last season of Better Call Saul. So when something's had that much or you've dedicated so much of your life to a series, it kind of surprises me that you're st that there was still that kind of interest. Do you know what I mean? A lot of people can want to walk away from a project and say, okay, that's me done, like don't want, don't want any future involvement. But maybe that's just testament to your relationship with it. Well, I, I, th I think that's right. It, it's, it's more um, like a fond memory and, and you have, you know, a, a romantic reminiscence of of it going it's like if you were to go back to your childhood home and you look at your neighborhood and where you played and the house you grew up in and it's 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 filled with um with memories and it you know breaking bad changed my life uh in my occupation and also personal life my uh financial security i mean everything everything adjusted with that show and it was a phenomenally great creative experience, and I'm very, very proud of it. So to to go back and to touch base with with that show again is uh, an easy thing for me to want to do. And I want to talk a little bit about that, about you getting into acting initially. And obviously, we knew you from Malcolm in the Middle, but I guess Breaking Bad was a, a change in the sense that it was 
that financial security that comes very, very rarely to um, a lot of actors. But let's start with before that. When did you first get the idea that you wanted to be an actor? And I, I know both of your parents worked in the industry. My parents were actors and I was born and raised, uh, I was born in Hollywood, raised in Los Angeles. So going to studios was part of my upbringing. It wasn't strange to me as strange and, and different as that is to the rest of the world. It was part of my life. Uh, and being around actors and being around creativity, basically uh, I went into the family business. When you think about it, it's very common for someone to follow in the footsteps of one of your parents. And so, and, and kind of, to extrapolate on that, so is my daughter. My daughter is an actor now, and she went into the family business. I married an actor. My wife and I met on a television show 35 years ago. And, you know, so it 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 actually is very normal for us. Yeah, which is crazy to me because having been on very few sets of my life, uh, mostly on press visits. You know, it's a fascinating world, but it is one that is vastly different to what the most of us experience. And there is a beauty and a magic to it. Um, and I'm sure even more so in LA than, you know, maybe some studios out in Watford or, or whatever. But there is also underneath this element of, there's a lot of waiting around, which people don't necessarily realise. Sometimes it can be really quite cold. So what was it? What kind of triggered in, in your head this feeling or ambition okay yes your your parents were in it but was there a moment was there a particular kind of tv show maybe that made you think this is for me i came into it um quite by accident because um the life of an actor was not tremendously successful for my parents my mom when they met she became the housewife and that's what you did in the 50s for women you made a choice and she made that choice and 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 for the rest of her life she regrets not being a mom, but regrets having to feel that she had to make a choice, that she couldn't do what men do all the time. You have a, you have a family, you have a relationship, you have a career, and it wasn't the time for it. And so she wishes she could have had that as well. My dad wanted to be a, a star and didn't become a star, and it really affected him. So my reset on that was, if I'm going to do this, my goal is to be a working actor. I want to be able to pay my bills by being an actor. And that is still, to this day, my most cherished professional accomplishment is that by the age of 25, acting is all I've done for a living. And I'm very proud of that because it's an incredibly tough business to make a living. And, and that, to me, is where it's at. And I take things, I'm very frugal with money. I save and save. I don't spend money recklessly because I learned that from my parents that they did. My dad, I mean, I remember one year as a kid, we got a brand new car brand new. And I was like, wow. And the next year we got rid of the new car and bought an old car. And I, and I was too young to know, I wonder why, uh, I, I don't know. I just one year 
we put in a, a built-in swimming pool in our house, in our backyard. Wow, fantastic. All, all the kids are over to swim. The next year, I remember my mother saying, uh, we can't swim this year. We can't afford the chemicals that go into a swimming pool. And it became like a swamp. And so this juxtaposition was a constant in my upbringing. This, you know, spectrum of change was happening all the time. And I didn't realize until I became an adult that that is not normal, that you want to normalize everything in your life. And so I even try to teach young actors or writers or directors Get your personal life in order. Make sure it's grounded and foundationally strong. And if that's strong, that's, that's your base. That's your touchstone. And if you can do that, then you can creatively go out there and go crazy because you can always come back to a solid foundation. And that's what will last for your entire life. So when you're saying that, when you say the personal life, get that in order, do you mean in terms of kind of relationships or or like healthy habits or exactly you know not getting swayed by if you got a big paycheck then going out and buying an exactly. ASOS order? Or... It's all of those things: being financially responsible, being emotionally and physically well-being. You know, you you must focus on that uh, on a personal life. Find a partner that you really love and and can grow with and and you know and and expand as needed but don't overextend yourself getting a job on a series if you got a television series and you get a job and it's like wow it pays you a good paycheck great let's go buy this let's go buy that it's like well wait a minute that show can be canceled at any moment and then all of a sudden all that money you were making and counting on is zero so be very careful with how you spend money and and be be frugal if you can. I think it's so interesting what you said, and I've, I've never really thought of it like that, but I wonder if I explain my situation and then flip it onto yourself. So I grew up with parents who didn't come from a lot of money and who worked incredibly hard. They moved to the UK and they worked incredibly hard, but then... And, and, you know, are comfortable financially. But I think because I grew up in an environment where they were very, um, you know, they, again, comfortable, but always, my dad was always saving. That was always at the forefront of his mind. And I think perhaps if you've come from that, you never forget what it felt like not to have those things and to, and to provide security for your family, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what that's done is it's made me or I've been raised with that mindset of always being maybe a, a little bit careful. And I wonder, you know, as an actor, if that's ever affected your decisions of roles, you know, have you gone for stuff that perhaps offers more security than maybe the artistic role that you wanted? Never. No, the, the whole point in having your personal life a strong foundation is to allow you the liberty to go free in your creative decisions. If I overspend and overspend, then yes, I'm, and there are many actors who do, and then they go, oh, I need to do, I need to make money. I, I'll accept whatever it is because it pays a, a good amount. I'll, I don't care what it is. And I never want to be in a position to make an artistic decision based on financial need. That's been my credo. I'd never want to be in that position. I'm not a prude about money. It's, it's, money's great. 
uh, I've been without money my entire childhood. My home, my family home was foreclosed on by the bank because we couldn't pay our bills and we were kicked out. So I know what it's like not to have money and I have a great respect for it now. And that's really the point is respect what you have and realize that to me, money equals freedom. The, the more money I save at the time, the more I knew I can stay an actor longer and therefore be able to pick and choose the things that I really wanted to do that had a creative element to it that were, was fulfilling. Yeah. And let's talk about that. So the kind of big like hallmarks of your career, if so to speak. Um, so you landed that reoccurring role in the classic sitcom Seinfeld, which I know that on every kind of American sitcom list comes towards the top. And then I know you from my childhood where you played Hal in Malcolm in the Middle. That was a beautiful era for sitcoms. You know, those periods, I don't know if they necessarily make sitcoms like that anymore. What was that like to be a part of? That kind of going to set, having that regular gig for, you did Malcolm in the Middle for six years, I think? Seven years. Seven. So that regularity of it. And, you know, what was that like working in that? And at the time, did you know it was a golden era of sitcoms? Uh, you know, you, you you realize that I think over time what I've realized, I started working professionally in 1979. And in those days, the quality of television uh, was nowhere near the quality of films. And there was a, a disparity between the two. If you were working in films as an actor, oh, that's a much more revered place to be. And there's a dividing line. A film actor would never do a television show, you know, because then you're stepping down. Fortunately, that has been completely erased because the quality of television over the last several decades has improved exponentially to, to where there are as many people saying, this is the best thing I've ever seen, uh, I love television equally or even more than than the cinema. And that, that helps everyone. When the expectations of quality and sophistication has risen to a point that you won't accept subpar writing anymore, that's great. That's terrific. Uh, then all of us can expect when we read something that it's I want to read something that's always good. For me to say yes to something, it's got to be very good. And because the the foundation of creative performance is always the writing. And there is that saying, if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. You cannot create something that's not already there. A good, a, a great actor. If you took Meryl Streep, uh, Anthony Hopkins, it's just for, for the sake of two examples, and you gave them C-level material, just fair material. At their best, they could bring it up a grade to make it a B, to make that role a B. They're not magicians. They, they cannot grant wishes. It, it is really dependent on the quality of the material that they're given. 
So whenever an actor is given A-level material, you're like, ooh, ooh, this is like a present. I can't wait to, to get in, and I just don't want to mess it up. It's so clear where I should go and how I should perform. I always say that the hardest work actors have ever done is on poorly written material. Yeah, and I, and you can sense it as well as a, you know, like you say, you can have the the best actor or actress in the world cast in that film if it's rubbish it's rubbish because like you say you can't can't change the script you know nope. you can bring all of the pizzazz but it doesn't change the underlying right message of it exactly right and speaking of good writing obviously breaking bad heralded as an incredible script incredible series large fan following you know revolutionized tv in the sense that the audience that it secured was phenomenal. So I know that the series was created by Vince, who 10 years earlier you'd worked on an episode of The X-Files with, but you didn't actually remember him when he had you in mind or when he gave you the, the call up or contacted you for the role of Walter White. Obviously, the extremes between knowing you as Hal and then seeing you as Walter White is massive. So what was the jump? What was the the mindset there to go from, you know, comedy and family viewing to Breaking Bad? It's something that every actor hopes they have an opportunity to express themselves in. The idea that you are just one dimension is not very attractive to us. If you declare that you only do dramatic roles, well then half of the opportunities are now gone. So you, you work on developing all the muscles in your, in your being to be able to express yourself in comedy and drama and music and, and straight plays, um, children's plays, theater, television, movies. So the more you can spread out and, and be, be good in as many different genres as possible or uh, mediums, uh, the more opportunities you have to work. So I, I <clears throat> was hoping that by the end of Malcolm in the Middle, which was seven years of great fun, the, my, my job going to work was to find funny things to say and do for seven years. I mean, that's just, that's heaven. And um, when that ended, <clears throat> I didn't know that the timing was perfect because uh, they were looking for casting this this role of Walter White in Breaking Bad. And it was Vince Gilligan who remembered me from the X-Files, an episode that he wrote. And he said, the qualities of that character in that episode is are the same qualities that I'm looking for in Breaking Bad. And basically, it's someone who can elicit empathy despite that person's actions. So get more, as Walter White got more and more despicable in his actions, you you still were torn in watching him, wishing he wouldn't do certain things, and oh, but you were on for the ride. And um, you know, it's exceptional writing. Go back to the writing again. Malcolm in the Middle, exceptional writing. Breaking Bad, exceptional writing, and it makes me look great because I hooked my wagons to really talented writers. Well, okay, you say that. Obviously, you come with a load of talent. But there's also something that you, you've said in a number of interviews, and I think it carries 
with with your reputation is that you're also a really hard worker. You turn up, you know your lines, you're on time, you do a good job. And how important do you think that work ethic is in in terms of your success? Because, I mean, maybe that's what made Vince remember you as well. So I know that I can cast him as a lead because when he comes back, he'll be good. It's it's uh, There's another element to that that is um, necessary, and I try to extend that to the students that I talk to, and that is be respectful and kind, and people feel that so that you have, you create an environment where you go to work, you respect other people's way of working, who they are individually uh, as a person, you do the hard work, you have your frustrating moments and arguments and all keep it right in that family, you work it out, you come to an agreement, best idea wins, you create something bigger than yourself, you present it, people enjoy it, and you go, hey, we did pretty well. I, when I was at the, in the UK, I've done several films in the UK and also a play at the National. And I, you know, part of leading a, a, a cast is, is to accept and embrace everyone in the company and give everyone the 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 idea of how I want to have what experience I want and hopefully that's what you want too. Let's have a blast. Let's have fun. Let's get together. Let's let's toast each other and have drinks. Let, let's let's go dine together and but let's do the work. Let's do the work. Do it as best we can. Remember how lucky we are to make a living as an actor? Are you kidding me? And if everybody embraces that, look how lucky we are, sensibility, then you can't help but just have a great appreciation for where you are and what you're doing. And also when you spend a significant amount of time on a project, which something like Breaking Bad is, but even a theatre project, you know, it's it's a hefty chunk of time and dedication and, and getting into a character, you know, how hard is it to leave it at the end? You know, I guess depending on on time periods, that might have a bigger impact. But, you know, as an actor, like you said earlier, you don't want to fall into just playing one role. How do you how do you leave something behind and, and decide on the next project? There are processes that that you take into consideration. I know that when I was doing Walter White, at the end of a day, and, and in film, it's you're usually working. 13, 14 hours a day. And I would go back into the hair and makeup trailer and I would get hot, moist towels and I would wrap one around my head like a turban and I would wrap one around my face and neck like I was getting a professional shave. And I would just sit in the chair and allow the moist heat to just pull out the toxicity of the day, both literal and figurative. The actual grime and dirt I would make up and all that, and also just the emotional toxicity that Walter White went through. And I just wipe it all, take off his clothes, and the, and and touchstone into something real. So the first thing I would do is call my wife after I I changed my clothes and got all that done. Is touch base with something that is real, and here we are. Tell me about what happened today in your life and reconnect that way. And then the show wouldn't get Walter White back until the next morning when I got to work. 
But you've just mentioned it there, and I think as well an important thing to discuss or to talk about is when you make these big commitments and you're having to be away, surely that also wreaks havoc on kind of familial relationships and and you do have to make some something of a sacrifice to to do and take on a project like that. It's very true, Kellyanne. I mean, that's that's one of the considerations. I am I am so grateful for the opportunities that have come into my life for for work and something that I still, after 43 years, still love to do. However, there is that familial uh, consideration. Historically, actors have been vagabonds. We've, you know, if you look in the history of actors, they've always traveled from town to town, put their hat out, present a play or play a musical instrument and and a a couple shillings tossed into the hat and then the the constable runs you out of town. And it's like, oh, okay, so we're always travelers. We're always people who have to pack our bags and, and go to some other city in order to make a living. And that's still happening today. It's still the case. Uh, you know, rarely do I, I work back in Los Angeles or New York and the places that I live. So you have to be prepared for that. And I, I always consult my wife on this because it's going to affect her. Whatever job I take is going to affect her. And I want her to feel like the project as well is valuable and worth that strain. And, you know, then you just have to be really good at scheduling and saying, when can she come out and stay with me? When can I go back? And and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, we heard it here first. For any listeners whose boyfriends aren't making enough effort, if Brian Cranston <laughs> is consulting his wife, he can too. Um, look, we're here also to talk about Your Honor, which Series 2 is coming out. Um, for those who haven't seen Series 1, what have you been doing? But you play Michael Desiato, who in the first series is this high-flying judge who helps his son Adam cover up an accidental murder. And it turns out that the victim of this hit and run is the son of this prolific crime lord. Now, I'm really conscious that I don't want to give away because it's quite difficult to talk about series two without spoiling quite a lot of series one. But we're going to try our best. So I want to talk about what initially attracted you to this role. It's a great character. It is a great character. The thing that initially got me because I'm a father in real life is the question that I would ask any parent, what would you do to save the life of your child? And the universal answer that I get, and this is what's so great, it it crosses cultures, it crosses languages and, and borders. I would do anything. I would do anything to save the life of my child. And and that's the premise of of your honor, is that my character becomes willingly becomes a criminal because he truly believes by doing so is the only way I can protect the life of my child. So I do it. And any loving parent would sacrifice themselves in that way to save the life of their child. And so immediately with that premise, we've got all the parents of the world thinking, I get you. I'm, I'm with you. I would do the same thing. Now you're, you're with me. Okay. Now I'm going to take you on a ride and it might, it might spiral out of control because you made 
like this character made a an impulsive decision. He didn't have the luxury of time to think, okay, if I make this decision now, what are the ramifications? I've got to make it now and just write it out. And then, you know, the, like damaging decision-making in general, there are repercussions all around. There are, there are um, wounds felt by others, collateral damage, if you will, felt by others that are innocent and that that's what happens if you say one lie to protect what is a good intention you have to say another lie to protect that first one and then a third one to protect the second one and a fourth and a fifth and pretty soon you're getting good at lying and you're covering up and you're and pretty soon you must say that i've my whole character as a human being has changed and so that's the dilemma that my character in, in Your Honor faces. The first series ends in a very tragic way. And so I was content with just letting the first series stand alone and allow it to be what it is. But then our showrunner, Peter Moffat, a fellow countryman of yours, beautiful writer, said um, he, he gave me an, a, a question to contemplate. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting. And so it was that question that stimulated the idea that brought forth the second series and equally compelling in a completely opposite way. It's, it's hard to explain, but I just have to say, watch that first series, then catch up and watch the second series as quickly as you can. It kind of made me think, because when I, I watched it, I think maybe during lockdown, because I still remember the car crashing, and this isn't a spoiler, it happens in the first episode, the car crashing with Adam. And that must have been at least a year, if not two years ago, that I watched that. And it was so visceral, I can still see it now. And there, there are events that happen in the first series. That, like you say, I think it's brilliant writing, but it's also done so subtly that you see this spiraling of this character happening and so slowly small decisions that you make in a split second the impact that that has like you say on innocent people but what I what I was interested in is when I found out that a second series was happening I was quite surprised because I thought you know like you say it, it's a it's a mini series and and it works completely by itself and I wondered a I know that it was very successful the the show but did you ever have any hesitations or is, is there any hesitations in going back to a show that you know has been done well and is really brilliant? Is there a fear that it, it might not live up to the expectations of fans? You ask really good questions, Kellyanne. We'll, I'll always do an interview with you. That's a really good question because, yes, uh, it is it, it is present when you're when you're you're proud of something that you've done and then someone wants to and you feel the closure of that first series and, and it end in a way that was appropriate and compelling great proud let it live on its own and then someone says can we open that back up and take you know and and relive some of these elements and then grow on it and it's like well I don't know. Um, sometimes you, you have to know when to walk away. And I was willing not to do the second series, but then Peter Moffat had this idea and I really responded to the idea. It was, it, it was 
the story of the first series is about a man who loses his principles, uh, loses his soul for what he thinks is the better, greater good. The second series now becomes, can there be redemption of that soul? Can he find forgiveness of himself and can others forgive him for the, for the lies and damage, collateral damage that he, that he perpetrated? Is there life after one's soul is lost? And I think for me, it addressed something that's happening in, in our global society in, in that, you know, when you look at a penal system, is it just a place to throw people away? Or are we really trying to recover a human life? Are we really trying to give someone a redemptive opportunity to change their lives? And so I, I, I think it's valuable to explore that. And that's what we do in this second series. Can a man or any person who voluntarily is devoid of their ethical standing, can they retrieve it? Can they get that back? Some sense of honor back. No pun intended, but it's your honor. No, I completely agree. And also, I think something that I'd not really seen it from the perspective of parent looking after child as a non-parent myself. But I did think it tapped into this kind of fascination we have with organisations that we, or people that we automatically assume with words like honourable and what happens or how you get to the bottom of someone who is supposed to be and isn't. And, you know, with everything going on in our society at the moment, it's not it's not a far cry from, you know, police officers being investigated, legal systems having massive flaws. So I think it's a series that touches base with lots and lots of things. And it's definitely not only that, but it is also a bloody good watch. Thank you. Uh, we, we think it is. I mean, our number one responsibility is to make Your Honor a very entertaining series to watch. And I really believe that we've done that. It makes people think, makes people root for for people that you may not have thought you'd root for and um, and unfold, you know, mysteries that uh, are very honest. Well, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Kellyanne. Nice to see you again. Thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If there's a guest you'd love to hear us interview, a programme you've heard us talk about that has marked your life, or any other thoughts you'd like to share, please do write in to podcast at radiotimes.com. Please also remember to rate, review and subscribe. <laughs>